0: Hello and welcome to uh, Ten Thousand Posts. It's the show about how everything is posting. Uh, it's also the show how uh, about how I, Hussein, uh, or is, I'm always getting sick. Um, I am once again sick because the weather has changed a little bit in this country. Uh, I had the raspy, like um, lower east side, like uh, smoker voice this morning, although it seems to have dissipated now. But I, I am, uh, in the words of my wife, a grown man who uh, has the sniffles. So uh, apologies for that in advance. Um, I am joined, as always, by my co host and I, I guess someone who's never had the sniffles, at least never on this show, uh, Phoebe Roy.
1: I used to get the sniffles all the time.
0: Did, you ever, that, did it stop?
1: Yeah, it stopped. It, sto- it, sto- it stopped with COVID. I don't get sick anymore.
0: Whoa. Okay. Wow. I mean, I, I do need I, yeah. I've,
1: I've become, I have, I've, I've powered up.
0: <laughs> I, I do have to say but i haven't got covid um i did think i had covid i did one of those horrible tests i haven't done for a while where you've got to like stick it in, stick it down your tonsils and then put it in your nose afterwards um and all that for nothing i don't have i, I feel like it's very un, it's, it's like undignified to like feel this horrid and gross but for it to just be like no you just have a normal flu that like comes because you live in like a weird kind of climate um, so yeah i don't have covid but i do have something that may as well be it uh yeah um that's that's my update for, for, my, for my life um i was gonna say well phoebe do you have any update life life updates before we introduce our guest
1: um actually no i do i have uh i have something which is uh, somewhere between a complaint and um an interesting observation okay uh, okay so yes so yesterday i was mildly sexually harassed in the supermarket well, I was just. oh no that's
0: not nice it's
1: it, i i've i've been i've been a woman for a long time it's 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 okay. just sort of path it's sort of path for the course really um prize for doing business um but what was in it because I was just minding my own business uh getting myself some getting myself some extremely nice cold beers for the extremely hot day and I got hit with a um with a sexual harassment um method by one of the like one of the members of staff of the supermarket which i haven't had for ages oh and no. it's real nature is healing moment because one of the things that sort of sort of disappeared in the last couple of years are like random men just bothering you like it right okay of, it, it sort of had stopped happening um so like so kind of harassment had had kind of changed its like changed its parameters it changed its boundaries so you were still getting like you know like yelled out of car windows and that kind of thing but like like. someone actually like approaching you and bothering you was a kind it was sort like sort of disappeared with social distancing anyway now it's back happy to report it's back um (laughs) but not just not just the kind of the, nat- the like the nature of it, but the particular method, which again i haven't had in a really long time, which is as all um all my ethnically ambiguous girlies will attest to the uh nationalities and ethnicity bark and it's and i haven't had this for ages, and it's when oh and it's when a, and it's when a man comes up to you. Uh, tells you, tells you, uh, gives you a kind of dubious compliment, and then starts trying to guess what ethnic group you're from.
0: Oh no! So what did you get?
1: Um, oh, just the same ones, just the same ones as just the same ones as always. Um, but the weird, but the weird thing was, was uh, he clearly thought because I was getting some asahis, and he clearly thought that was like a good lead in, and he said, "Yeah, because you look Japanese," and I said, no, "I don't," <gasps> <Whoa. laughs> because I, 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 I mean. I, I didn't I,
0: expect I, that i
1: really don't like and honestly i've never had japanese before as a as a guest um mm. and then he kind of peered at me and said and, and sort of said oh well you know kind of you know definitely oriental and i was like
0: oh, oh no the oriental. Then, oh dude. yeah like,
1: dude and then just yeah then he just like kind of le- and then he just kind of launches into the italian spanish iranian turkish Come on! It must be one of them. It must be one of them. they never get it right. They absolutely no, never get it right. No,
0: they never um, say Albanian either, which I think would be like creative at
1: least. They never say they never say Armenian, which well, that's um, true. That could
0: be quite contentious, which is surprising.
1: Yeah. But I could, t- I could totally be Armenian. There's like mm. there's a there is a you know what? I'm not gonna <laughs> sort of stray into uh, stray into this kind of discussion. But I could de- like I could be I could I could be Armenian. There's a, there's there's some. There is some physiognomic crossover, shall we? say. Well,
0: welcome to the phrenology corner. Welcome um, how not, long did like, it like, take po- for us to get like, to this point?
1: It's like <laughs> positive like uh five minutes, James. Um, but it's like it's like positive phrenology. Like I have great I have great love for my Armenian sisters and brothers and <laughs> okay. non-binary siblings uh, as well. Um yeah, but it was just it yeah. was just really, really interesting because yeah, like, like I said, I haven't had this very specific form of it for a really long time. Yeah. Um and in a way, it's quite nice because it shows I really have caught the sun because I'm clearly, I'm clearly looking at looking even more ethnically ambiguous than
0: usual. <laughs> yeah. Um so that was so it's yeah. nice to
1: get nice to get some like external approval for like how good my how good my tan is getting.
0: Do you think it's because of the heat? Like, I don't know, do you think the heat's making people like act a bit like well, act- I don't know what yeah, I don't know whether like horny energy is necessarily the right way. Cause I don't I find I struggle to kind of Imagine in this heat, people would be horny, but I'm not sure.
1: I this is the thing. Like I, like I, I think this kind of heat leads to a uh, directionless horniness because actually, it really is too hot to touch anyone. Yes. Like if, like, yeah, I think if I think if, so, if so, I think if someone tried to touch me in this heat, I think I'd take their hand off at the wrist, like that. Yeah.
0: I, I just it's it, you yeah, know it, it got it got really hot. Last, too much. It, it got really hot last night. Um, and I did go downstairs to sleep on the sofa, not because I had a fight with uh, my wife, but rather because it was just too hot. And mm-hmm. it was just like, we just can't be in the same space. So, um, I was telling James, uh, by the way, we, we do have a guest on today. There's one thing I want to say about the nationality <laughs> thing, but I will, I will intro our guest first because I feel like it's rude. If we don't, uh, mm-hmm. we are joined once again by James Vincent, who is Hi, a reporter hello. at the verge. He was on, he was on the, he was on recently. Uh, we had a really good time and we said that, Hey James, when your book comes out, uh, you should come on the show. And he, w- and he messaged me being like, my book is out. You, uh, we swore a blood oath and now you yeah. have to fulfill it. So we are like doing our duty. No, no, it was, it's a very good book. Uh, we'll have the show. We'll have the link in the show notes. We are going to be talking about it in the episode. Um, I have a cut. I have one more thing to say about, uh, men and, uh, trying to guess nationalities, which is that a couple of years ago I did hear over here. An Australian person ask someone, uh, what's your NASHO?
2: <laughs> That's nice.
0: I like that. I like Which
1: that
0: answer? too. That's cute. Nasho, and it's something I've kind of forgotten until like you mentioned that, and I was just like,
2: no, that actually
0: that happened. Some guy like asked a girl in uh somewhere like in uh South like, like in Stockwell or something. Uh, what's your Nasho? Mm. Mm-hmm. So maybe maybe that's more successful. Like if you're like if you're a supermarket person listening to this and you want to like guess someone's person like nationality, maybe Watch ask them something in those types of like cutesy terms. terms in an Australian accent.
1: Or another suggestion: don't bother women who are just minding their own. I would. I would
0: also. Yeah, I would probably say that is probably prioritize better advice that, yeah. generally.
1: Like prioritize. Not bothering women, I think.
0: Yeah, I didn't know whether to I
2: never know whether to weigh in before I've been formally introduced because otherwise, otherwise you just feel like a little sort of dog under the table at a party, like. <laughs> but I definitely think I'm not going to weigh in on heat and horniness, but I definitely think the heat in general drives people mad and makes them cross social boundaries that they wouldn't otherwise. Yeah. Do mm. And like, there's generally been a weird air of like suspended normality with the whole. I think. Uh, Johnson resignation and like yeah, you know, yeah. I, th- I feel there is and the heat wave and the, and there's, the re- yeah there's
0: there's a weird energy happening on. yeah there's a weird, weird energy. energy happening this summer um, obviously like the whole like Tory leadership thing we aren't going to talk about that on this week's episode but we may be talking about it on uh, next week's but that stuff is really weird uh, mm. you're right like the Johnson stuff is really weird uh, my wife well, she had to go to Westminster today and she messaged me just sort of saying but like yeah all the kind of like like a bunch of the like the um fb fbp protesters are kind of back except yeah. they're not really sure like what they're doing so yeah. a lot of it is just kind of like twee like boris johnson stuff there was a video that was going around uh a couple of days ago where i think what's his name jolly on rubenstein who like is a podcaster and someone who um i don't i don't know where he came from or like why but he, he but he's like yeah He had a TV, he had a short-lived TV show. Then he was doing YouTube stuff for a bit. Um, I've seen him, like, every time I've been to Soho House, not because I'm a member, but no, or Shoreditch House, but just because because I've had, like, friends who have, like, invited me. Mm -hmm. Um, So, but all four times I've been to Shoreditch House, he has somehow been there. Um, So... Doing pranks. Uh, uh, no, he's just like sort of like hanging out, but it's kind of just like, is, like that's my sort of main interaction with him. But he, he was doing one of those sorts of weird video stunts, like similar to kind of like Led by Donkey stuff where he pretended to be like an eviction man trying to like get rid of Boris Johnson. And he was oh, just yeah. like, oh, I've got to pick up all the John Lewis furniture, which is obviously a reference to like the, the flat decor and everything. But yeah, like it feels like there's a sort of weird energy that I can't quite describe yet. Um and the heat is either sort of driving it or at least as, or it's at least exacerbating it.
2: Yeah, I think it's exacerbating it, and obviously, and everyone's sleeping less as well, or I am anyway, and that, yeah. that just adds to the crazy.
0: Yeah. Um. I don't know. You're going to be
2: rating um Tory candidates' posting abilities.
0: Oh, maybe it. Like, number one, it depends on whether the guest that we want to get on will confirm. <laughs>
2: but we will
0: definitely be, we will be talking about posting and candidates but i don't want to like let out too much or like reveal too much but yeah generally uh we will be talking about posting because we have a show about posts and uh speaking of which let's talk about one of our favorite posters who sadly um is still banned from twitter uh all the hope that he was going to return uh through an elon musk owned twitter seems to sort of be like vanishing as we spoke about with jathan um so uh but he has been posting on a website called uh, Truth Social, which is his social media platform, um, but also the one where he kind of like it's the tweets that he would have done on here on here if he was allowed to. And the thing is, I don't, I don't have a Truth Social account. I don't know what he posts every day, but like the ones that sort of make it through to Twitter are always just like reminders of how like he's Trump is an awful person. And like, I haven't like I haven't kept track of the January sixth stuff, but like it seems that he's been a lot more. He was a lot more complicit in um especially like the kind of like the, the harsher ends of that than he kind of let on uh to begin with so this isn't mm-hmm. like an endorsement of trump i just want to want to make that clear however i do think that he's a very good poster and he's he a good poster. and these are good examples of it and i feel like you can yeah. hold those two opinions in the set you can't like you can have those two opinions and it's fine um but it's one that's very funny i'm going to read it out um i have put it in the show notes. Uh. Because I think the picture is actually like, it really adds to this as well. So this comes from like at real Donald Trump, who like, number one, I find it very funny that he's used the same app on Truth Social than as he has on Twitter. Like the fact that he owns this social network and could just call himself whatever he wants. And yet he still went for his like Trump username. Um, He says, when Elon Musk came to the White House, asking me for help on all his many subsidized projects, whether it's electric cars that don't drive long enough, driverless cars that crash or rocket ships to nowhere, Without which subsidies he'd be worthless. And telling me how he was a big Trump fan and a Republican, I could have said, "Drop to your knees and beg," and he would have done it. Dot dot dot. <laughs> um, and the picture and the picture is of him at the uh, at the in the Oval Office at the big table, smiling. While Elon Musk stands very awkwardly next to him, mm. uh, with like a face that isn't. It, it does. It's kind of like a mixture of expressions at once. But also yeah. like this is a man who has never taken a photo before, seemingly. Um, it's very funny. It's like just looking at it, It's just like so, so funny. So, um, before I sort of go into, uh, kind of what I think is going on, I want to throw it to you guys. Tell me your thoughts about this. Um, and, uh, yeah, like, you know, I, I guess about whether Trump has become a better poster since he's been offline.
2: What I like about this post is the drop to your knees and beg line because it is so, extreme it's so like out of there it's weirdly like i don't know it's very obviously it's very like alpha posturing mm. it's weirdly like there's sexual overtones to it, it in a sort yes. of weird submissive way yeah. and it feels like something it's, an anime villain bit would hot. say It's Okay, the heat has got to you phoebe <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. but there is something like weirdly transgressive mm. about trump saying that and in a way that is like I don't know. It just sets off these weird harmonies in your brain, yeah. and again, that is sort of the mark of a true poster. That you're like, mm. why am I having this response to these sets of words? Yeah. So, I, I would say Trump is um, a word cell, uh, although you may not <laughs> think that he is. Uh, he definitely is. He knows how to manipulate language.
1: Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, no, no, for sure. I think it's very. I think it's very important that uh, we just, just, just for just for once, just try and be honest and drop this bizarre idea that's, that's grown up that being funny isn't any way to do with being a good person. It isn't. It's just, a, <laughs> it's just, something, it's just something that you can do. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a gift like any other. What I, what I like about this is, okay, you know the bit at the end of Jurassic Park where they're being cornered by the velociraptors? And you're mm-hmm. like, oh my god, they're being cornered by the, the velociraptors, and they're they're like they're, they're these these horrible like perfect killing machines, and they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna kill this they're gonna kill this charming family. Oh no, oh no! And then like the T Rex, <laughs> like just like like bum like bundles in,
2: yeah,
1: yeah, and like kills both of lost raptors It's really easy. No one expected the T-Rex to come back. I mean, like we'd forgotten about the T-Rex because she'd been like mm. kind of knocking around elsewhere in the park. She was like, you know, real kind of, you know, Dino X machina. <laughs> <laughs> I hate uh, like that. that. I absolutely know. <laughs> really, I, really no, I withdraw it. I withdraw <laughs> I withdraw the, the, the Dino X machina remark. Uh, but it's it's like that. Like we've we've spent such a lot of time and and you know recorded quite a lot of material now and so sort of, you know spilt a bit spilt a bit of ink sort of talking about uh you know, talking about kind of elon musk kind of buying up digital infrastructure and buying up yeah this kind of this kind of ersatz media company <laughs> to use as his mouthpiece and we'd for- and so we had forgotten <laughs> what an, what a true poster looks yeah. like and yeah. Uh yeah, and uh, and there's and there's and I think what's so I think what's so interesting and so good about it is that it's like the kind of horn you have in the heat. It's completely directionless and aimless. Like yeah. like having having uh, kept up a little bit with some of the January the sixth um inquiry stuff is that even that doesn't seem to have had a kind of clear goal. In mind like the man appears to be absolutely pure id Mm. like that he has no like he has no kind of like governing regulatory force within him he just like he just reacts he's he's just like a very very large very very permanently outraged cat like he doesn't (laughs) he doesn't have any kind of any strategy, any kind of long-term thinking, like when someone says your supporters are marching on the Capitol, instead of being like, oh yeah, this is maybe going to not make me look great. He's trying to fight his secret service detail for control of the vehicle. Um, Mm. Like when he's talking about, when he's talking about kind of like fascist marching, like people sort of said, you know, him saying that him him saying there are fine people on both sides was this kind of terrible kind of watershed moment uh, for the uh, sort of crystallization and normalization of American fascism. But I think he was just, I think he was just saying Just whatever was in his head at the time, there's he has no particular reason to grease up to Musk, but even if he did, I think he still would have said it because Mm. he just says stuff. I don't think I don't, I think that Trump is the only truly apolitical public figure. (laughs) I don't think he has any politics, I don't think he has any beliefs. Yeah, I think he just response like you know you know those like you know those those, those really really like yeah. permanently outraged big ginger cats particularly the big orange ones with the stripy tails and sometimes they want to go outside and sometimes they want to go inside sometimes they want to hang out sometimes they will bite you if you try to scratch them and that's just what he is he just sees stimuli and yeah. reacts to it and that's yeah. why he's a good poster he doesn't overthink it
2: Yeah. yeah no game plan he I yeah, mean no, he just yeah. he prioritizes his own comfort and that's about it, I think. But he can just also look
0: the- yeah, he locates where he knows where the energy is. Um and I think I don't know, the apolitical stuff I think is actually really kind of on the money in terms of understanding him as a writer and mm. Understanding him uh, both as like a public figure as well because it was like very clear from the outset But like he was not someone who was necessarily like interested in politics in like an ideological way no. um, And like to bear in mind, that like this kind of started because Trump is considering running for president again in 2024 um, His main com- like competition seems to be the Florida governor. I think his name is Ron mm. DeSantis. DeSantis like has the same type of like reactionary politics, but he's also much more ideologically Well, he's like, he's a career politician, right? So he's like much more like ideologically like, um, coherent in terms of like his kind of political like perspective. He has like political game plans. Um, when it comes to sort of like advancing the culture war, like he has a very calculated approach to that, which would make sense in terms of like why Elon Musk would like him, but crucially why Elon Musk could think that he could work with Ron DeSantis in a much more Um, productive way for him than he ever could with Trump and the thing with Trump is that Trump is the chaos guy but also one that really like dislikes it when people I think like one of the things I kind of got from reading this thing was that maybe Trump was sort of sad that Elon Musk like didn't like him Um, (laughs) like there seems to sort of be like this kind of air of sadness which is just like oh I thought you and I were like buds and now Mm -hmm. like you wouldn't support me like running for president again because you're not my friend um so I'm going to just like hit back at you in this really sort of like harsh and catty way, uh, which is where you sort of then get that like, yeah, he would have given me head if I asked him to do like, really, it feels like very like over, it feels like very like over the top for what was essentially like quite a fairly mundane political statement from Musk. Because also Musk has that problem, too, of like he kind of wants to be liked by certain people and he cares Mm -hmm. a lot about what those people think about him. And where you have that kind of crossover between like Trump and Musk fans, uh, what Trump has done is sort of like kind of make those divisions very clear. So it's like Mm -hmm. this is an act that isn't necessarily it's not really political. There isn't kind of like any ideological like underpinning towards it. It was basically that Trump was upset kind of went over the top and now Elon Musk like has to deal with like the fact that lots of Trump fans who prefer him who preferred Trump over Elon um he now has to sort of like navigate that space that he kind of didn't have to before
1: Mm. oh yeah no for sure I mean I think what I think what is also interesting is that what what James said about it being a very kind of alpha male kind of jostling um but all of Trump's affect is it's like and this is not going to be popular. It's so female. Trump <laughs> Trump does not, is not like a kind of ultra, no matter what people who are kind of fans of him like to project upon him. Like oh, yeah. he is... He is like, he is funny in the way the most like spiteful gossipy auntie is funny. Yeah. Like mm. that's like Trump, like Trump is auntie coded. Like it's, mm. it's he's really, really nice, but he is. Yeah. And he's also, he
0: he, he's really, sen- he's like very, very sensitive as well. Like there have been he's lots of so, examples. He's so sensitive. That when he reads stuff about, when he reads stuff about him, especially from people that he felt were like his friends, mm. like he gets really upset about that. There was like, The number of times when he was president and he like read Maggie Haberman, who like he considered to sort of be like the reporter that he really liked and spent time with and like someone who like understood New York in the way that he did. When Maggie Haberman started writing stuff that like was kind of somewhat critical of him, he was like genuinely upset to that to the point where he would sort of like schedule in time during his kind of like presidential duties to call her up to be like, why have you written these mean things about me Mm. in the newspaper?
1: I mean, I I definitely think that Trump as a figure and the the sorts of things that can be and have been projected upon him have definitely not just I mean, it's because it's interesting as well, because when people talk about like the coming fascism, that means that they really only can conceptualize things in terms of how it kind of affects them specifically because if you are a first nations person in america you are very very familiar with the concept Mm. of american fascism i mean just for example if you're a black person in america you are very very you are very very used to uh say the like the mechanics of power of like of kind of state enforced policing which is a really really kind of important cornerstone of how like of how fascist systems like fascist systems operate um and I definitely, I definitely think that he hasn't unleashed a very particular tendency. But I think it's, I think it's much more of a coalescence of tendencies which have been building over the decades. And I think it's a, just, a, just a real mistake to think of him in the way that American liberals do as this kind of unique evil. Um, and we've talked, we've talked about this, uh, we've talked about this a lot before. But it's just, I don't know. It's just whenever you whenever you kind of read anything about like the worst excesses of like the Bush administration or the Reagan administration or like even like honestly like even the like the Clinton and the Obama administration like you read anything about like anything about like the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina and you're still trying to convince me that that Trump is like a uniquely monstrous mm. and uniquely bad president just because he behaves in a vulgar manner. Um, I think that's uh, I think that's what what we call American exceptionalism, um, <laughs> but I think in this particular instance, yeah, he like he had his like he had his feelings hurt. Like I tr- like I genuinely think about Trump that if that if he met like if he met like a steelworker that he liked enough, he would become like a, a union guy.
0: Yeah, mm. if
1: he just like if just someone just like struck him as like a kind of a ni- like a nice enough and chill enough guy, and just explained to him about like the history of the American unions, he'd be like, oh. Yeah, I kind I like this. I kind I kind of like this guy. So he, so his, admittedly, his extremely capricious loves and hatreds have had the have had the effect of uh, empowering and guiding some extremely unpleasant and extremely dangerous and worrying forces. But I think that yeah, I think that him turning on Musk is that is that he's had his feelings hurt, and he doesn't want him to come to his party anymore. It's he's fascinating. He's like he's fascinating. He's a fascinating figure. Like again, you like you you look at like like Bush or whatever, and you're just like this is just evil. This is just like this is just pure banality of evil. But like, but Trump is interesting, I think, as a kind of no, I agree, psychologically and phenomenon.
2: yeah, Yeah, he's completely. I feel he's just like you know he warps culture around him for very obvious reasons, given the practical powers he has, but also just as this sort of like. You know, I'm, I'm sure you could do this to lots of people. You pick someone random off the street, and you put enough of this focus on their life, and you give them access to those sorts of megaphones, then you would find eventually uh, equally interesting, complex, and and sort of hypocritical individuals. But the fact that it happens to be him that the world yeah. just threw oh. onto, you know, threw onto the world stage is just it's a sort of um yeah a bit <laughs> of like a lucky break in some ways, it's but like obviously a, it's not like in a others.
1: Really interesting. Um, piece of support for uh for a great man theory of history, but in a complete but in a completely like circuitous and backwards route it doesn't like it doesn't make the point that people who buy into the great man theory of history think that it's making
2: yeah um <laughs> the great yeah. idiot theory of history
1: the great idiot theory of history yeah yeah, fascinating like like it do you think that if there was like a kind of trump truman show? that would be really interesting or do you think it would get kind of boring quite quickly because he's just so unpredictable
2: i i would like a trump um goodbye lenin situation um oh, that'd which, be so which, good. which i think was discussed at some point when during sort of jan 6th stuff or when he was you know not wanting to leave but i feel like just convince him that he is still president or you know, give him like set up a fake White House on another mm-hmm. island and like have, you know, deep fake all the information that he sees coming in on video screens, tell him that he has to stay in there for his own safety and just get, encourage him to do whatever he likes, treat the world as like a, a, a giant game of civilization mm. and just see what he, what happens if he's like, let, yeah, let's, let's nuke Italy. Because,
1: I used to, you know, are you, <laughs> I, used to wor- I used to work, I used to work at, I used to work for um, a company who I will not name um, but who operated in such a bizarrely incompetent and unproductive way that i, be- I that I became convinced that it was a kind of, that the whole place was a kind of institution for very, very like harmless patients, but people who did have to be contained for their own safety mm-hmm. and also <laughs> needed to be. Uh, needed to be persuaded that they were kind of doing a job and that all of our bosses and supervisors were the doctors and they'd set us up dummy screens and dummy computers and I think that's something that would be really good to do with Trump and then film it and then film it and, and, and post it now that, now that, that's a good use case for, for Twitch it's the only good
2: one I've heard <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah. I mean, maybe maybe he'll do this of his own volition. If mm. I mean, like, <laughs> obviously he he has a shot in twenty four, an extremely extremely good shot. I think he'll I think he'll probably win. Unfortunately, um, but hopefully it won't come off, and then maybe he'll become a full time media figure in the way that it was sort of trailed that he might, mm. you yeah. know, having his own uh, TV network and all this sort of thing, and he'll become the main news host. Uh, he won't though because it'd be too much work, but.
1: Oh yeah, no, he, defi- he definitely wouldn't want to like be a kind of anchor because yeah, that means like that means reading stuff out. That means having to like report on stuff that's like not about him. This is what the- honestly. This is when I re- this is when I um first start- started thinking that he was like just a genuinely funny person, like naturally funny person, was mm. when that stuff got when that stuff those two like and they were supposed to be these kind of like terrible kind of you know administration ending bombshells but they were both just like so funny and so like in spite of yourself charming and one of them was about him like insisting on like learning about different animals and like sending his staffers off to like what was this do you one about him about him doing lots of like wanting wanting lots of research about badgers and like constantly asking all these questions about badges and about like oh are they hostile or are they friendly creatures Which Was supposed to be one <laughs> direct quote <laughs> <laughs> and the other one was that they had to put his name on every page of a briefing document so- to keep him reading it to keep him, him
2: interested he, in it that was the only thing
1: if he didn't see his own name he wouldn't he wouldn't oh my just, God. He, would just, he would just he would just lose interest and and I said at the time, to I, very unwisely, I said this to an American, um, that I just thought this was just really funny and oddly, re- and oddly relatable. And they looked at me like I just kind of deposited a turd in front of them and just, uh, and just yeah. sort of said, and said, you know, the guy's like a fascist. And I was like, I didn't say I agree with him politically. I just think he's funny. You're a comedian. You're supposed to like it when people are funny. <laughs> but uh, she, did not, she did not buy into that at all not Mm. one little bit
2: Sad
0: to say
1: early adopter
2: i missed out on both those stories i'm very taken by the badger one because i feel it's it's, it's like a nice thing to do and you know it's like what would i do if i had infinite you know power over eggheads and i'd be like you know guys (laughs) can we can we get some of these little fellas in here with me right now i want to say hello to some bad oh that'd be great if you could like have like an infinite zoo and you could just go see any animal you like to just like hang out. Oh, I'd love that. I'd love to hang out infinite, with like- An infinite zoo. An infinite zoo. Like, But like if there was just, all, if you could like talk to any time you liked, any animal you liked, mm. like if you were just like, I want to go hang out with an orangutan for a little bit, you know, I've got 20 <laughs> minutes, I've got 20 minutes in the downtime. Should I go outside for a cigarette? Should, should I say hello to a pangolin? Like I would, well, I, I would be so healthy.
0: This yeah. is like a very it's a very like new media thing because I think one of the like one of the things that lots of the new media companies did, your vices and your BuzzFeeds and everything, to like try stop people from unionizing, was to be like, well, if you don't unionize, then we have more power to like kind of give you much more like out of the box benefits. And one of them from BuzzFeed, I think, was like once a month, um, they would bring a bunch of puppies into the office and you could go and hang oh, out yeah, with the I puppies if you like had you know if you were having like a particularly like you know down if your mental day. health wasn't great yeah, yeah you could go into this room and hang out with the puppies um and i wonder whether like a new trump administration needs that like to kind of tame him down a bit you can be like mr president like you're feeling a bit rough say why don't you go into the badger room and just hang out with the badgers <laughs>
1: for like 10
0: minutes and we can just like reset maybe that was, that's the thing
1: i would like to hang out in the badger room I so much <laughs>
2: I mean, that was, that's great. Why isn't why isn't that part of White House history? Who cares about like where Roosevelt slept or you know what? You, there yeah. should be a badge? a duck room. Here's a bowl of peas. Go feed the ducks for a little bit. And they just go, <laughs> yeah. they go, ducks go mad for peas. I don't know if you ever seen ducks go at peas. No, I've they never
0: seen them. ducks go mad for peas before.
2: They, I've never they, seen ducks go mad really, for peas google ducks going mad for peas Um, all right okay they (laughs) they look like they've never eaten in their life they love it so much oh my god okay that's like
0: something to bear in mind like you know (laughs) next time i take my nephew i
1: really really like next time you take your nephew what about me
0: oh yeah once (laughs) the next time phoebe and me and my nephew go to feed the ducks uh we can can bring her well i took him to feed the ducks once i took him to feed the ducks once and he was kind of scared of them but like you know and this, to be fair, I agree, like, you know, I, James, you like you, uh, you have some family in York. Uh, I went I to do, the University yeah. of York, so we both have, you did? M- we must have some kind of like trauma uh, regarding like the ducks. The
2: geese? The geese, I give guess, me yeah. trauma. The ducks yeah, I, are okay. The geese,
0: there's, because the campus
2: had a big ge- goose problem, didn't it?
0: Yes, it had, so it had several goose problems. One was they they had this black goose who like would kind of, Deliberately torment all the other geese, and then it went for students afterwards. Yeah. Right. Um, there was another, there was a duck-related incident where apparently, like a duck, kind of went um, off the rails because the duck ate a duck sandwich. Um, it ate a duck, oh,
2: what? Someone gave him like a hoisin like wrap, like, from like M&S a, and like it like was a pe- just like cannibalized,
0: like a, like a piece of a duck sandwich, or, like oh. a hoisin sandwich. Oh, no. oh, um, I remember because I lived in a place where, like, in order to walk to campus, I had to like walk through. Um, james college which is like where all the geese hang out and if you went like too early in the morning the geese wouldn't let you through and if you like try to get through them they would like try to fucking destroy you um yeah so there were a couple of times when the ducks looked very angry and i did take the long way to campus because i did not want to like um i did not want to be killed by them Mm -hmm. maybe i should have just brought some peas i don't know oh
2: i just say Oh, yeah, Sorry. No, sorry. No, no. 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 I did no, just Google. I did just Google ducks eating peas to check I wasn't going mad. Yeah, this and, is more
1: important than and, what I was uh, going to uh,
0: say. The,
2: the first video has a great YouTube-style thumbnail with the text overlay saying "the original annihilation." And annihilation is all caps with an exclamation mark. And then the, the video title is ducks annihilate a bowl of peas. Three ducks obliterate <laughs> a bowl of peas. Ducks ferociously eat peas. So, I mean, there is a there's definitely a thing going on. Oh, there my
0: God. Ducks. So like, they don't just love it. They like li- they destroy it. OK. All right. Obliterate. In mind.
1: obliterate peas.
0: Some, yeah. Like, obliterate. you know, we, 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 we we've gone past a period where like you destroy people in the battle of ideas. You now destroy them by offering them in a, a piece bowl of peas. Yeah. yeah, that's fair enough. Okay. Um, should we speak about James? Should we speak about your book? Uh, I'd rather I mean, speak about ducks. Is that okay? Okay. Yeah. Can we just I continue, mean, continue can, with that?
1: Like, honestly, I could speak about ducks. I, you know, I've I've noticed that like the like the older I get, like the, the more I, <laughs> the
2: more I speak about ducks. The
1: more, more I speak about <laughs> ducks. More I speak about ducks. More I speak about chickens. More I speak about goats, cows, gorillas, yep. etc. Yep. But like uh. the the old, the older I get, the more I become. I sort of stray into. I know it's like quite cranky, but I kind of stray into that kind of very specific area of crankdom, which is like, well, humanity is an interloper on the earth. The earth belongs to the animals Mm. and um, they are more, they are not more more important, not more important exactly, but like, I think like I think that I think there should be like some of the like harshest possible punishments like mm. meted out to anyone who harms an elephant or a tiger mm. or uh, mm. you know any of these just like just like these just, like incredible yeah. creatures like yeah. like you, you you leave the gorillas alone. You're gonna um, be like
0: one of those Facebook mums or like those next door mums that like gets really like passionate about like animal protection or like um and animal protection to the point where it's not just like oh this person is like harming an animal physically. But um, there was a next door post that I got where someone got very upset because a, they felt that a child was upsetting one of the swans um, in the local, <laughs> like in the local area. Was
2: it a very ugly child by any chance?
0: Um, I just, didn't didn't describe were, the child, but, it, but they were like, where's, you know, I didn't know where his parents were, but he was right. just like making faces at the swan and the swan was <laughs> okay. getting scared.
1: Okay. First of all, a swan is not scared of a child. Like it was pantomiming uh Mm. i i i think that i get i get annoyed if i see kids bothering animals and their parents not doing anything about it um, yeah. yeah, I'm, I'm really, I'm really kind of getting sort of, sort of getting involved with this, like, not like, I'm like, cause there is a very particular kind of fate, like kind of Facebook mom who is like very, very keen on animals, um, mm. and is, and is borderline fascist about humans. Like mm. if you, if you have a, if you have a look at like the, like the most like kind of monstrous things that people have to say with their real names and everything, um, mm. about, uh, about say, uh, about say refugee boats. Um, there's always like a dog in that picture, mm-hmm. like it, like nine times out of 10. And I used to I used to know someone I used to know someone who was like a big, big kind of animal rights person um, who said, I don't understand why there's still animal testing when there are like prisons full of people. And I was like, Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah, that is now that.
2: That's That's not great. That's psychopathic. Yeah.
1: That's not that's not great at all. Um. And I tried to have a conversation with her about it. Um. And I just said, you know that like experimenting on prisoners is that's you know that's like like what the Nazis did. You know that, right? And she was Mm. like, yeah. I mean, like only like the really bad ones, like you know, like the pedophiles. And I was like, yeah. Again, I understand your point. But this is still, this is still not, this is still not ideal. I don't mean like one of those people. Just much more like this is the planet belongs to like the bugs and the monkeys, and we are their guests, and we should be behaving accordingly. And so I think that if you are hanging around the University of York's campus, you are uh, there on notice. You are the guests of the geese, (laughs) and if they bother you, then you should think about how you were. Uh, breaking the terms of the guest host pact.
2: Yeah. 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 I I went to a a really, speaking of sort of nice animals, I went to a pub the other day and they had a pub chicken. Um, (gasps) Instead of like a pub cat or a pub dog, it was just this chicken that they owned and they kept in the coop in the back. But it just wandered in and out of the pub and around the tables and just thought it was, obviously it was all its territory and it just sort of clucked to everyone. It was great. Everyone, everyone really loved this chicken.
1: What kind of chicken was it? Was it like a big bronze one?
2: It was a big bronze one. It was ah! a big, like beautiful, <laughs> like full, very fat. Looks like a model of a chicken, like sort of an ur chicken, the archetypal <laughs> chicken that like cavemen would have drawn on walls. It's great.
1: You know what? This is the worst thing in the world as well because uh, the because the other day I. Uh, I replied to a post of a friend of the show, Rax Kings, saying something about like strutting like an expensive rooster. And she's mm. and, and she <laughs> replied saying, like, I, I really like how much um expensive roosters are like a kind of organizing concept of uh of just how you feel about things you're just really really into expensive expensive chickens and I was like have I brought up expensive chickens to her before um, <laughs> and then later on that week a uh, a pod that I guested on came out and uh and my partner said you know that like 20 minutes in you start going on about about expensive chickens again and I was like <laughs> no 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 I mean there must have been a a context he said there was a context but but you you you're this is this is true you are really really fixated on Mm, expensive mm. chickens and fancy roosters and you and it's and it and it genuinely is like one of Mm. your like organizing core principles Mm,
2: mm. just
1: the pursuit of pursuit of of expensive chickens
2: Mm. Well, and and you've done it again. In fact, and I've
1: done, and I've and I've done it again. And I'm really yeah. enchanted by the idea You're of a pub chicken. I would like to meet the pub chicken more than just about anything.
2: <laughs> a, you'd have to travel to York to go see him, but he was a very. He is, it's a pub in Coxworld. It's very nice. Um. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'll go to York. That's not that far. <laughs>
0: it's but a few hours, hours on the
2: train.
1: A few hours yeah. up the motorway. I'm. I'm grand. Okay.
0: Yeah. Well, look. If we ever do a live show, we'll do it in York, uh, so that I can go relive like my, so I can go face the trauma of the geese, yeah, uh, and course. like finally walk the path to campus that I deserved for the year and a half I lived in Fulford, and yeah. you can go see the uh, the expensive chicken. How does that sound? Oh,
2: chicken.
0: That's good. Yeah, oh, sorry, sounds it
2: wasn't, good. It was it, it wasn't an offer to me. Sorry, I was just um, like, <laughs> I'm, <just>, I'm going <laughs> go. along at this point. Well, yeah.
0: Well, look, we'll need a, we need a place to crash. So, like, that's true. Yeah, that's you are fine. you are implied in that. Okay. <laughs> Now, look, speaking of which, like, to kind of like, you know, I don't think your parents, your parents wouldn't let us stay if we didn't talk about your book. It would be like, you know, you had our beautiful boy on your podcast and you made him talk about ducks and geese and peas, but you didn't talk about his book. So we are my gonna, book. Like, yeah, so we are yeah. going to talk about your book, uh, which uh, can, I
1: can you use ducks as a system of measurement?
0: Yeah, I guess maybe that's the first question. So, but <laughs> that but, is the big question. But like, yeah, but before before we ask that question, uh, I should intro yeah. it. So, your book, which Please. came out uh, came out earlier this year, is called Beyond Measure: The Hidden History of Measurement. Um, yeah, it cool. has a very cool cover of some tape. I uh, my my main critique was that there was not enough about phrenology uh, in there. Um, I was hoping that half it would be like a chapter.
2: I'm yeah, sorry. I was, yeah. I was
0: hoping it would be a guide on like, you know, what the best system of like skull measurement would be. But nevertheless, yeah, yeah. it's a very interesting book. Uh it's uh I, I mean I'll let I'll let you sort of like for people who aren't familiar with it, um, I'll yeah. let you kind of like intro it. Um yeah, like tell tell us like what it was about what you're thinking like behind it was and I guess ultimately like can you use ducks as a form of measurement
2: <laughs> uh, I think y- and you can use anything as a form of measurement if you are willful imaginative and mm-hmm. uh, determined <laughs> enough and ducks definitely could be in there um, so it is a book about the history of measurement which is a great thing to tell people and instantly watch their face glaze over but it is actually a fascinating fascinating subject and I'm sort of you know I know all nonfiction writers or not, but a lot of them basically make the case about how their subject that they just happen to write about happens to be instrumental to humanity or civilization. But I genuinely believe this is true for measurement, that it's essentially, mm-hmm. it's a discipline that is as important to the development of sort of settled society as writing or mathematics. And indeed, it sort of combines elements of both those two technologies. Um, so it's a, you know, it's a pop history, it's a pop science book, and it looks all the way back to sort of hunters and gatherers to the ancient Egyptians, the ancient Sumerians about how the first systems of measurement came to be and how they sort of changed over time. But it is essentially a book about power or I want it to be a book about power anyway, because it's, you know, Measurements are deeply rooted in the development of the state, basically, because they're one of these things that states need to give their citizens so they can conduct trade, so they can do buildings, so they can do you know, research into all these things. Um, there's this historian called Theodore Porter who, says, who describes quantification in general and, and measurement in particular as a technology of distance, a technology mm-hmm. of communication. Because essentially what you do is you, by measuring something, Uh, you, uh, you can then talk between people, between cultures and geographies and time Mm. and space, and you can write down records that you can communicate to the next generation, or you can do scientific research and you can then sort of have that proved or disproved later on in time and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but the thing is that controlling measurements and deciding what measurements you run the world by and what measurements matter is a hugely powerful thing. Um. And I'm gonna bring up this example just because we've been talking about chickens. Um, and this is, a very, this is, this is actually a, a story about chicken measurement. Um, so um, the US poultry, um, I can't remember what they were called, poultry association, something like this, early on in the 20th century were like, uh, we need to feed all these Americans we've got. There's a lot of them about these days. Chickens yeah. seem like a really good bet. They sort of look after themselves, um, but there's not enough meat on these chicken bones. So they came up with a competition to breed what would be the best chicken for America. And in order to judge this competition, they had several metrics that were involved in it, several measurements. These included um sort of the amount of weight it would put on, the time it took on it took to put that weight on, how quickly it would start laying eggs, and how many legs it how many, sorry, legs, how many eggs it yeah. would lay. Um And you think about those, those are all very sensible metrics. If you're trying to create the biggest, fattest chicken to feed as much people as possible, the metric that they didn't put on there was flavor. They didn't care what it tasted like. They didn't Mm -hmm. care. They didn't put any metrics on there about the health of the chicken. They didn't Mm -hmm. care how long the chicken lived. They just cared that it got fat quickly to be killed. And because, I mean, like, there's obviously lots of other factors involved in this, but because those were the measurements they chose, what you end up with, and it's really fascinating if everyone's Googled, like, how chickens have changed over time. Because, you know, they start off with these quite scrappy, muscly creatures with these big legs, and they're sort of, you know, they're running about all over the place. And the modern chicken is this beer moth. Of, of huge breasts mm. and huge thighs that can't do anything with them because they've only been bred for the, the capacity of meat. Anyway, that's... <laughs> that was what the poultry board were after. They wanted big natural. <laughs> we, want, we, it's want, true. we want
1: chickens with, with thick tits.
2: What With thick, yeah thick chicken but but that but that's just a very yeah. silly example and By you know
0: doing they also kind of like you know it meant that everyone now has like very unrealistic standards for like what a normal chicken should look i actually like do exactly. genuinely mean this like i was in zanzibar a couple of weeks ago and like they obviously there's lots of kind of like small family farmers so like where we were staying if you sort of went out of the compound of like the resort Um, you would just see chickens Mm. sort of like running around. And what was like remarkable is just how thin these chickens are, right? Mm. Like you can kind of like see their bones and everything. And like it takes a while to kind of like, you know, remember that, no, this is what chickens like look like, right? Yeah, Yeah. And the chickens that you're sort of used to seeing even in kind of farms and everything in the West are like designed in a very specific way to, as you mentioned, to like achieve very specific objectives uh, which are not the objectives of uh, like small farmers in like other parts of the world.
2: Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and you know, this is the way you change the world is you measure it and you pick which metrics you want to increase mm. or decrease. And then obviously the metrics you pick, uh, they say something about you. Um, well, what I say in the book is that measurement is a form of attention. Um, it's where you direct your, yeah, direct your attention. It, what gets mm. measured gets managed. Um, and that means that the people who get to decide certain metrics um, have great power over society and how it develops. Um, right. So anyway, this is that's what the book about. But it's got a lot about ancient civilizations. It's got medieval monks in there. It's got the history of temperature. Uh, it's got the French Revolution. It's got nothing, not much about chickens, actually. And I'm very sad to say. <laughs> uh, and it's got quite a bit about um modern measurements and sort of how measurement has become this guiding ideology of uh of modern life basically Mm. Mm.
1: so does that so does that presumably that ties into record keeping and labeling and other forms of kind of cultural and social categorization which are also which also get used as a as a tool of political control
2: yeah, absolutely. I mean, the thing that I found difficult writing the book, I mean, lots of things, putting the right words in the right order was the main one, but mm-hmm. was setting was like distinguishing between these types of quantification and you're completely right that sort of in many ways uh, categorization as much as measurement is like the, is is the main tool and we me- we categorize in order to simplify the world in order to create schema that the world can be fitted into but every category is is a blunt object Mm -hmm. and there are always going to be distinctions that can or can't be made i think you know it's this great battle between lumpers versus splitters are you the sort of person who wants to finally chop up every category until it can fit every single uh phenomenon or do you want to try and lump things together um but yeah with, with with digital metrics perhaps i should talk a little bit about um and how we get into how we got into that in the modern era mm-hmm. um so um there's a few historians who have written about measurement and how it became has become so important in modern life um because it, i think it's a really understudied subject but basically mm-hmm. the roots go back to um cap- changes in capitalism that happened in the 19th century Um, this, uh, this historian called Alfred Chandler has this concept called managerial (laughs) capitalism. And, uh, it's basically that sort of during the end of the 19th century, beginning of the 20th century, particularly in America. And then this system spreads to the rest of the world. There's this huge change in how companies are managed. Um, it used to be the case of what Chandler called personal capitalism, where the Mm -hmm. people running the business would have some direct... Background in that industry, they would have you know grown up in it. Maybe their parents were something to do with it, and they would have grown up you know from the shop floor up to management level. They'd start their own business and then they'd start running things. Mm. Um, and this gets displaced by a system of managerial capitalism, where managers are trained as a distinct profession in their own right. And this only starts happening at the beginning of the twentieth century. You get lots of these schools who start training up this. Uh, this coterie of managers. Mm. And the thing about these sorts of managers is that they don't have a link to the business they work in. So they don't really understand it intuitively. What they do understand is measurement. What they do understand is the quantification of work. Um, and this dovetails with um, the rise of scientific management, which is um, better known as Taylorism. So mm. this is engineer Frederick Winslow Taylor who gets obsessed with improving the efficiency within his factories. And he starts doing these time and motion studies where he goes and watches uh, workers doing specific tasks. And he takes out his stopwatch and he takes out a little sketchbook and he measures every single movement they do. So they bent at this angle and they dug a spade in with this much force and then they lifted it up like this and then they turn it around like that. And he breaks down every job into these small little units of work. And then he tries to make them do those as quickly as possible. And when you combine these two things together, where you have managers who don't really know the industry they're in and don't necessarily have an attachment to it, and you have a method of sort of quantifying the work itself, you essentially abstract the work from itself, as it were. And you end up just with these figures on a page. And this is where sort of measurement becomes the dominant way of controlling Um, work and then that Mm. bleeds into the rest of society Mm. Um, and you start you start having you start basically people want to know how different industries work and they want to know that they're getting bang for their buck whether that's in healthcare or education or policing and then they start going right so what can we measure in order to find out more about these things yeah Mm -hmm. and obviously this creates its own problems where people start um chasing the (laughs) metric instead of the thing that the metric is supposed to be measuring um Sorry, that's been me. I, I did warn you, I would ramble. No, 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 this, this is, so this is good. Yeah, this is good. Presumably, also, yeah. this like,
1: also ties into an increased focus on extracting surplus value from labor and also an, incre- an increased interest in the uh, capacities, obviously not quite at the start of the 20th century, but the capacities mm. and possibilities of, uh, whether it's technological or kind of human surveillance and human monitoring. Yeah of workers yeah. like that sort of they're they're sort of tied into the same uh tied into the same kind of uh same kind of sort of frame sort of framework and parameters because in order to in order to get your measurements you have to be able to monitor the workers and surveil the workers and make sure yeah. that they are make sure that they are uh Making the most productive as as has been imposed on them use of yeah. their time, and so you can be mat- so extracting the most um, the, the most surplus value out of their labor. What, or rather, is the is it is it known if, if there was a kind of one specific factor that led to the kind of establishment of managerial capitalism, or is it a coalescence of lots of different factors, or do we just not know?
2: Uh, I think we don't really know exactly where it came from. It's a coalescent of lots of different factors. I mean, we could take a step back before the 19th century and you could say what leads to this is essentially the invention of statistics, mm-hmm. um, which happens at the beginning of the 19th century. And what, statistics have this um, mutually dependent relationship with centralized states. Um, as the state gets more centralized and it wants to look over its territory as it were mm-hmm. it does exactly what you've what you've just said which it wants to start surveying its citizens so it needs to have information about them to make them le- to make their activities legible to the state mm-hmm. the state starts collecting more and more of this information in order to find out what's going on within its territory and then that creates the this idea of metrics being how you steer a large system and how you direct power and effort, expertise and resources. And in a way, managerial capitalism was simply borrowing the tools that had already been applied by the state and applying them to industry. Mm. Um, and, but, and, and then if you want to take a step back from that, you're like, so where did that came from? And it came from a desire and a need to acc- accrue power. And this mm. is why I say measurement is about power, because when you measure something, you can control it mm-hmm. um, and you can direct its energies. Uh, and, and obviously the, th- the thing, well, not obviously, but the, I think a thing that is happening now in the modern world with the, the proliferation of digital sensors is that all of us now have access to powers that once used to be the remit of the state. Mm-hmm. And we turn these the surveillance powers on our own bodies. And in the book, I talk a lot about the rise of the quantified self and Fitbits and sort of self-tracking. I think yeah. this is an ideology that is now like it's how we build. It's how we <laughs> imagine ourselves. We imagine ourselves as sets of numbers. Mm. Mm.
1: Yeah, uh, no, this, is def- this is definitely the case. Uh, like, uh, obviously, there are, there could, that is a, an observable phenomenon. Mm. But um, a little while ago, someone, uh, someone asked me, what piece of data would I most like to know about my life it's sort of like if it's it, a great if, question If what it sort of comes if it's you know when it comes to the end if instead of yeah. saint peter what it yeah, actually get, is is uh, just you get you get this just print out <laughs> of like all the stats and you're like, like what would you like what would you like to know would you like to, i love like, that yeah and um and like i ge- like i genuinely was like really really like really stuck for like for an answer but it's like it's a really mm. interesting thing to think about and it and it and it and it speaks of uh it speaks of a kind of expression of uh, a sort of s- a, a very kind of it seems to be a very kind of core demand of states and also of corporations <laughs> who as i've never tired of saying are allowed to act and function like states um, yeah. Yeah. to to re- to reduce human life and human individuals to these packages of data and these packages yeah. of like exploitable data. So corporations yeah. it, it sort of reduce you to your advertisable data and a state. Yeah. It reduces you to your productivity data. I wonder how much of this shift was um in observation of how kind of colonial administration functioned. So that's something that has to that, that's something that has to be observed and measured from afar and because it's not within the kind of immediate oversight if you have imperial outposts you have to come up with some method of working out how well the centralized state is going
2: phoebe can i direct you to chapter six of a wonderful book called beyond measure (laughs) Uh, which no no literally uh, you've literally you've pulled that what took, me, what took me months to determine this connection? You've just pulled that out <laughs> mm. in the middle of a podcast. But yeah, it, it's absolutely colonial power. And the, at Chapter 6, I talk specifically about land surveys as mm. a colonial force because it's something that the British probably got there first. We did the, the, the first sort of nationwide land survey of a certain level of detail was called the Down Survey. And it was conducted um, by an Oxford physician named William Petty prior to um, uh, Cromwell's invasion of Ireland. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was done in order to work out what land the Catholics had and then to redistribute that land. And you can see that pattern, it plays out with um, uh, Britain in, in India and it plays out in the United States as well. Yeah. And the, the United States is particularly interesting because you have two very different conceptions of land. One of the colonizers, which um, so T- Thomas, and Je- Thomas Jefferson came up with this grid survey of America. And if you've ever flown over sort of uh, Midland America and you've seen the sort of the really neat grids that like, stretch on and on over the horizon, that is the result of his original grid survey, which he was just like, <laughs> we're just gonna do squares over the whole thing. and that allowed um yeah, he played minecraft the... and he was just like this is great <laughs> he <laughs> just loved this he loved it so, <laughs> but, so at that time you had the 13 colonies on the eastern seaboard and they were like oh. how do we push into the middle and they were like we're going to measure the land and then we're going to start selling it and what they did was it they made it so easy to sell the land remotely and that they would just have these grids that they would put up in the local whatever government houses and you'd look at it like a chessboard and you mm-hmm. go, I want a five. I want that lot in that territory. And then when the, 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 the people who went on to claim this land, they could then just measure it out for themselves <laughs> and go, this is now my land. And of course what happened is it wasn't, you know, there was someone living on that land already, yeah. but the, the, the system that the American colonizers created justified a, um, stripping the territory off the people who already lived there and B, it created sort of moments of friction between these two groups that they could then be like, OK, now we need to send the army in. So Anyway, sorry, all, all of which is to say, Phoebe, is that you're entirely right, that colonization, mm-hmm. the, colonial, the uh, colonial ideology really depends on that sort of technology at a distance. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's a colonizing force.
1: Mm. it's it's interesting about land surveys as well because it's very like it's very noticeable that there's not really there's not really anything in the kind of if we're talking about the like like history of culture around mm. um colonialism and around imperialism which is a very uh which which has a very specific uh religious cultural character it's uh it's it's quite specific or certainly the colonization of america and like the and most of the british empire it's 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 a kind of church of england kind of kind of anglican protestant sort of mm. sort of thing and because there's no real there's no real uh tradition of or interest in the character of a la- the land as having its own as as having its own spirit and its own mm. Character in the way that that and the way that that is for many, many indig, many, many indigenous Indigenous peoples all around the world, and so it's so it's not so anything that hadn't been kind of measured and exploited and turned into sort of data packets was seen as kind of uh was seen as uh, as sort of readily exploitable resources, and it sort of hadn't been done by the people who already lived there because they had a relationship with the land which uh Mm. was the sort of relationship you would have with a living thing as opposed to with something that could be that could be reduced to these kind of data packets and these sets of measurements Mm.
0: Mm. i was i was also going to add um i mean because like i definitely got like some similar um I, i did my like undergraduate uh dissertation on uh, the relationship between like explorers and measurement, and like the development of like the British uh, British mandate, oh, of really? British mandate of Palestine. It is it is Ooh. somewhere in the University of York. You can have to like go through the geese, but like well, it's it going to be in... part
2: of our trip up
0: there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll go. We'll go dig up my dissertation. Um, you know, and like there were definitely some like the stuff I didn't really think about when I was writing it because I was like young and didn't really know much. But as I was like reading your book, I was I, I kind of like kept going back to that and thinking about how like you were completely right in the idea of like yeah, measurements and like the people who sort of decide and also the kind of epistemological exercise of development of like measurements um, Mm. itself is kind of one of, you know, it it is, it is, it is part of a project of like exertion and assertion of power. So in the case Mm. of like, the British explorers and the mandate of Palestine and like how about how those projects were like funded and how they were kind of, you know, how they were receiving like funds eventually from like, MI like uh, from the foreign office and MI5 or MI, or like MI6 or like whatever it was called back then. It is very much also just the idea of also using these types of me- the exercise of developing measurements to justify an ideological like position that they already have, which in that case is, which in the case of like the British mandate of Palestine was that there was like a divine, right for the british to kind of control that territory and to later sort of like divvy it up as it eventually did and like those long-term implications of that um we can't Mm. like spend unfortunately we can't spend like ages talking about that but i do think it's like a really really interesting and really important aspect of like understanding the project of colonialism generally um what i didn't want to talk about even especially as like we sort of round up the show is more about like the kind of epistemological components of developing measurements in and of themselves and this is kind of where i was thinking about in relation to the show the kind of notion of like metrics and how metrics are used especially in relation to types of technologies that are kind of ubiquitous now. So when I was thinking about it, I was thinking about like working in like, you know, newsrooms and social media, like hubs and stuff where you have these kind of measurements, stuff like reach and uh, you know, there's a couple of others, but stuff that like even if you ask most social media managers like how valuable is like social reach, like they'll kind of either say that it's not or that they don't really know because like a lot of it is kind of this like how the platform inter like interferes infers in it and You know um we've seen with like the history of platforms such as like facebook meta that they are very happy to like inflate like um inflate the statistics that come out of like measurements that they've told people like you know really valuable and really useful and like ultimately determine your value in like this digital media climate something that they are still kind of saying but in different ways i think i guess what i was interested in um or like interested in your opinion with is like where in the project of like making measurements and like making things that are then told or or like, you know, people are told like, you know, this is really, really important. Whether that's like, the value of like a particular post that you do or in the case of like gig economy workers that like you know these measurements called sort of like uh or or these statistics kind of are measurements of your productivity and like you really need to pay attention to them because they ultimately determine your value in this like hyper competitive climate to like stuff like fitbits and like other fitness trackers where we think of our bodies as like um repositories of uh you know or just like big data sets and i don't know i was thinking about i was again i was thinking about this just back in 2013, when like, if you were kind of working in media journalism and stuff like that, like the thing that everyone was talking about was big data. And the idea Mm -hmm. that like big data would sort of be like the the accessibility of big data and the open source nature of big data was kind of like something to be really excited about because it would kind of hold uh, politics more accountable. It would sort of be like this emancipatory framework. And I don't think that people would necessarily say that now. And I wondered, like, I know that there are like several things in there, but I guess like to sum up all those questions, I wondered what your thoughts were on just like the development of digital metrics in and of themselves and where they sort of fit in this sort of relation or or in this wider understanding of measurements being systems of control and like systems that reflect power, but also exert it at the same time.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I think a thing to think about is, um, Yeah, who's deciding what the measurement is and what benefits are they getting from it? Um, And whether I think when you're looking at these systems, um, you need to think about who is getting the benefit of this thing, of this thing being measured and not that thing. So for something like personal fitness trackers and apps and stuff like that, I think that's, you know, it's not necessarily a way I would personally want to think about myself, but I think it's relatively benign but mm-hmm. then you get metrics like the um, you know uh, the, like you're talking about reach and engagement and view counts and obviously those are metrics that are there not for the benefit of the content creators themselves, not for the benefit of the industry, they're there for the benefit of the advertisers. Yeah. Or, but they also, get... yeah,
0: And this is a caveat too. I'm sorry to interrupt, but just as sure. like a caveat no, to that, it. it was more just like, but the, the existence of those metrics also changes the way that like every content creator or everyone yeah. who's sort of making stuff on the internet, like thinks about yeah. making content like, and you know, we're not like exempt from that in the sense But no. like, I think everyone who sort of wants to make a living in this kind of like quite precarious environment. And this doesn't just apply to media projects, but it's anything where you're sort of working online like it kind of has fundamentally changed what like how we understand like productivity and production yeah yeah I mean,
1: I'm I, like, I, I, yeah, I, yeah i'm like i'm i'm an absolutely obsessive record keeper i don't right. i don't i don't do anything with them but like <laughs> but like i but um like i like i track like i track workouts i track my mood like No, I like, but I, but I, so I have, and I do it all in like paper diaries as well, like a very, very elderly, very mad person. And so I have like all of these, like, just like paper diaries, which are absolutely kind of like dense with like, like dense with data. And it's not like an interest in the numbers because I am not Mm. a numerically gifted (laughs) person at all. It's just like, it's just, it's just like, it's something that I like to that I like to have as a kind of almost like a kind of, like a kind of self document that I could like present to somebody if they were kind of asking what I would like, what I'd done with my, with my life. Cause like, obviously I can kind of present them with, you know, with my relationships and my friendships and the stuff that I make, you know, I can show someone my stories, yeah. give someone, yeah. give someone an episode of the podcast, but this is like, this is actually it's tangible in this is the, a this different is the way. boring tangible stuff
0: yeah yeah they need to know your pvs man they need to know like on your deathbed they need to know uh what 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 your what your uh what your pv was
1: i mean you remember what your that, big
0: three were
1: you remember you my po- you remember my policy i'm not gonna have a deathbed because i'm never gonna die so yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay.
0: yeah.
2: It's yeah. great policy yeah it's um, like a but <laughs> I, I mean uh, i love that because I, I do this. I do something similar myself. I'm not a huge, you know, I'm a, I'm going to admit it. I'm a little bit into measuring stuff. And I, I and I know that's true because I wrote a book on it, but I'm not <laughs> like a huge like self-quantified guy, but there are certain things I do track and fitness is, is, is one of them, for example. Um, but this is the allure of those numbers in that they make, as I, this quote I had earlier on from Theodore Porter, they are a tool of communication. They allow you to share what might otherwise be a sort of ineffable, subjective experience and they turn it into something that can sort of be experienced by others. Um, and they, yeah, so they allow you to communicate and they also make something real. You know, this is, this something I come back to in the book quite a bit. It's this idea of reification and what happens when you turn something abstract into and you start treating that number as the real thing itself. And the sort of the, the worst use case of that that I ever that I come up with historically is IQ. In that, you know, Mm. IQ was invented um, by, you know, this Belgium, um, I don't know exactly what his background was, but he was, Alfred Benet, the psychologist, I think he was, but he was basically trying to come up with a test that would help identify children who needed help in school. That was it. There was nothing in what he came up with in his IQ tests, apart from saying, well, he's got a low number, so we should probably give him a few after school lessons because he's obviously not caught up with the rest of the kids, that was mm. it. And what people do is that they reified these numbers and they started saying that what this number represents is not just a relative measure of a, a snap of aptitude within a very short amount of time, but it is now the number that you're tagged with for life. And it's mm. your intelligence and it's your potential and it's your worth. And I think that's the, always the thing to think about when we start treating these numbers as reality. Rather than the thing that the number is supposed to represent, that it's supposed to capture and communicate, and PMI, this is the thing with as well, I think, is as well, I think it's yeah, re, it's but, a really good yeah. example
1: of that because it's now yeah. because it's now used as a kind of organizing sort of organizing core of whether or not you are uh, deserving of medical treatment and whether or not you're exer- like deserving of. Uh, yeah a sort of even just kind of sort of basic sort of basic respectful treatment and if you like yeah. look at the history of bmi it's like it's literally oh, it's all bollocks. it's like it's yeah. literal like it's literal rubbish yeah yeah and uh like, the, like the, the the original like test subjects it was all like it was all determined on um on the uh, almost like arbitrarily on like a kind of number of measurements like based on tests like carried out entirely on cis men so yeah. so cis women of uh, for 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 example, um, quite often come out with these like kind of like kind of wackadoo BMI measurements, yeah. um, and obviously this is not the case here yet. But I'm sure BMI measurements uh, in places where there is health insurance are used as a kind of determining factor for what your premiums uh going to look like and yeah and it's yeah you're you're obviously you're completely right because uh you literally wrote a book about it but it is a, it's yeah. about that it's about a rarefication of these numbers and so often the numbers are arbitrary like the like yeah. f- like five like five a day is the result of an ab- of an advertising campaign uh you should yeah. walk ten thousand steps is because the Japanese character for ten thousand looks like a little guy walking. That's why they that's,
2: chose. That's That's
1: why they chose it.
2: You, is, I, you could have written this book. I'm feeling. <laughs> I That's, that's why we're getting it. This here. is the
1: thing. I am like. I'm not. I'm halfway through this but through the book now. It's like. It. I think it's absolutely brilliant. It's so fascinating. And, and the reason that it's taken me so long to read it is because I keep pausing and like following my partner around, being like, "Did you know this? Did you know that?" And he's just like, <laughs> like "Please." let space give me space (laughs) stop stop telling me stop telling stop like blurting information at me Mm.
2: that's all i want from the book is for (laughs) it to create friction between um loving partners yeah that's
0: that's the whole yeah that's the whole like i think i think the measure of a good book is like how many divorces or like breakups it causes Mm -hmm. so the measure
2: of a good book did you say oh
0: Well, look, I <clears throat> I was also thinking about like how we wrap up this episode. Um, number one, I would say like read James's book, but also oh, I just yeah. remembered
1: definitely read it. It's brilliant. It's like even like even just halfway through, it's so interesting. Like, and I and also this is ver- this is very very complimentary to you as well because I never read nonfiction because I basically have a very very short attention span, like mm. Trump. Um, <laughs> yeah, honestly, like I kind of feel like I kind of feel we're sort of two sides of the same coin in a way. I, yeah, <laughs> um yeah, anyway yeah, you have um, a
0: spiritual affinity
1: so yeah so i yeah, so yeah. I basi- so i basically never read non-fiction books so i'm and i'm absolutely adoring this it's so so fascinating like it's so nice it completely gripped me just like literally from just like just from the just from the introduction um about the idea of the kilogram being like this literal lump of metal which they've got in a Mm. box somewhere and it's exactly the kind of thing that you always assume sort of is the case but you think that it makes you sound mad if you say it but so it's just amazing that it's true
0: um, so I was trying to think about how to like wrap it up and I remembered while we were talking about there was actually like that tweet that was very, very funny about what would happen to measurements under communism. Um, one of my yeah. favorite genres of like post under communism, like so-and-so, so-and-so would be abolished. Um, my favorite one so far has been about time, but this one's about measurement. So I'm not going to like read out the person uh, who posted it, but I will read out the tweets. So the first one goes, when you think about it, units of measurement are pernicious and harmful bullshit, which has never been invented and any proper communist movement should seek to abolish them. <laughs> and the second one goes, like the act of measurement itself is an inherent problem. It is the transformation of the subjective into the objective and that's a path of horrible results that we should avoid. So I guess to wrap this up, James, I would ask like under communism, should we <laughs> should we abolish measurements?
2: okay i do want to say because i do worry that when i talk about this book people think i'm anti-measurement i'm not i'm (laughs) i'm very like i'm very pro measurement and the book is a lot about the wonderful things that sort of measurement has uh, enabled in terms of you know scientific knowledge and all the good that has come out of that obviously a lot of bad uh, things come have come out of measurement as well eugenics being one of them pretty bad um, I think I would abolish measurement as um, a social experiment and then do a video about it on YouTube because I would love to see <laughs> what would happen if we just couldn't measure anything ever That that's what I would do I'm not saying we have to do that in a communist regime but I yeah. think it would be fun to try
0: okay yeah so like what we'll do after this episode is we'll contact Mr Beast and we'll just be like look like, <laughs> we need to kind of create like a squid game style thing that you did yeah. but where nothing is measured just to see what's up Um, and yeah. then we'll throw you in with like Fuck! I don't know who's like popular like these days. Uh, like rice gum. I don't know. I don't like anyone who like any of the like the internet stars that like he it's, hangs out with.
1: It's much more dignified for you not to know.
0: Yeah, I think that's, <laughs> I think that's probably well because there was a the time when I used to know all this stuff, and then like. Sure,
1: but you're a man in now, your thirties and you have a yeah, wife, so I think it's fine. Yeah, now don't I don't. Know. I don't
0: get to spend as much time on the computer as I used to. Uh, unfortunately, so yeah, all the kind of like internet celebrities right now and you and you can exist in this weird thing that mr beast creates where like measurement just doesn't exist and yeah that could be like a fun little social experiment um at the very least you might get like some uh you might you might get some brand deals out of it Mm -hmm. um you might get to like you know what what, you might get like a ridge wallet or something that might be kind of cool uh (laughs) so, so yeah okay so um yeah, we will. About, well, we'll leave that question about whether measurement will be abolished under communism and how that would work. We'll leave that unanswered, or like at least up for speculation in uh, in the chat section. So until Great. then, uh, you can just speculate, but you can also buy James's book. We'll add the links to uh, the bookshop where you can buy it from. Uh, James, if people want to like read your other stuff or like just check out what else you're doing, how can they do that?
2: They can find me on Twitter. I'm JJ Vincent, um, but really it's bad on twitter and they should buy and read my book which is called beyond measure
0: there we are yeah that's my plug
2: sorry no
0: no no no, no, plug it as much as you want man like i think it's important uh that you know or if you just like plug you just plug your plug your stuff all the time uh speaking of which we will plug our stuff now um (laughs) uh you know you can follow me on twitter.com um i have a bunch of stuff on there uh phoebe do you want to do your plugs
1: uh yeah, why not? uh you can request to follow my Twitter at p r h. Roy Just a quick note because I know that lots of people have locked accounts. If you request to follow me from a locked account, I probably won't let you um which is just a which is just a very mild and regrettably necessary opsec measure like I know that I'm sure that it's fine, but you know I still need to uh uh need to make sure that nobody from a locked account is uh following me and uh, potentially tracking and or measuring me in any way mm. um, you can follow me on Instagram at phoebe underscore rosa underscore Holly uh, you can also uh, why not check out me and Milo's Sunfold podcast, which is Masters of Our domain, which you can find on Twitter at masters of pod um, where we post episodes and uh, today a uh, masters of our domain bingo card that uh, a listener very <laughs> thoughtfully uh, made us uh, made us and sent
0: that's fun that's fun i feel like we should have a bingo card i know someone some we should make a bingo card if anyone wants to
1: make us a bingo card please make us a bingo card we also have uh we also have a patreon oh
0: right? yeah we do well i was going to say that first we have a producer uh, called devon and you can follow them at devon underscore on earth and also listen to kill james bond um which is their podcast and it's very, very good. And we do have a Patreon. Yes, we do have a Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash 10k post podcast. We do bonus content once a week. It's very, very good. Uh, Lots of cool stuff on there. uh, So check it out and lots of cool stuff come we should, we should do the
1: patreon plug earlier i think i think we should do it at the start of the episode
0: okay we can do that in future we will do the patreon plug in future um okay all right uh and on that note we will catch you later have a good one bye bye